Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to episode 30 of Double Hop Beat, a bi-weekly podcast taking the pulse of the beer and brewing scene. I'm James, a home brewer and beer enthusiast. And I'm Shannon, a beer intermediate. Happy Easter, everyone, and happy Passover. If you're happy Easter. <laughs> I got my Easter basket this morning. He did. Yeah, the Easter Bunny definitely knew what I liked for cra- local craft beer. So. Yeah, the craft beer Easter Bunny. So I don't know if any of you listeners out there got your craft Easter baskets. Um, send us some pictures of your good Easter brews. Yeah, or what you're doing on Easter and during this quarantine time. Feel free to share. And if you don't celebrate it, crack open a brew anyway and enjoy, hopefully, nice weather yeah. wherever you are at home and staying safe. Every day is beer day. I know National Beer Day was this week, but I think... Our listeners would agree that every day is beer day. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure, for sure, especially for me. Uh, and now I guess everyone's saying that any time is five p.m. So yeah, nobody I mean, knows what day it is. Nobody knows the time it is. It's just it's always five p.m. <laughs> and it's not like you can just have one style of beer either. There's so many styles that you can enjoy that literally, like I'm having a coffee beer right now where it's got a nice stout with uh, fresh coffee. Yeah, so it's awesome. It's good. Okay, so before we start today's episode, I did want to mention a new project that has come about because of the COVID-19 pandemic that's going on, and that is the All Together Beer Project. And so we have spoken about a similar project that was taking place at the end of last year, the Resilience Beer um, Collaborative, which was started to raise funds for both the California wildfires and also the fires in Australia, um, which we did highlight on our uh, Beard for Beers for Good episode. Um, and so now there is a beer, the All Together IPA is being brewed all around the world. It was started by the other half brewing in Brooklyn, New York, and they have created a website called altogether.beer. I was, I like when I was typing, I'm like, oh, altogether.com. And then I was like, no, it literally says altogether.beer. Yeah. Um, and so they are, they have a recipe on there and you can go on and sign up similar to the Resilience Beer Collaboration. If you're a brewery, you can get the recipe, you can download it and brew it and then sell it. And they're asking that the proceeds goes towards um, the struggling restaurant and hospitality workers out there who have been laid off because of the situation that's going on right now, or those who are still working um, aren't receiving as much as they used to because there's no tips and business is not as big. So uh, they're asking that anybody that brews this beer gives the proceeds towards those charities. And I think this is just another example of the brewing community finding a need in the community and Mm -hmm. communities that we all relate to. And you might not be from the same area, but these initiatives can really bring people together so I think this is one of those ones where I think there's almost 600 breweries, 41 states, and 39 countries participating. So it's not just the U- United States. Yeah, it's all um, over the world. It's all over the world, which is amazing. And their website is very, I went on this morning and was looking at it, and it is very well organized. They have labels that you can download. They've got promotional materials. They've got the recipes. And all of those um, extra items, I guess you call them, were also donated by other um businesses. So the labels were designed by a certain um, group who kind of donated their time and said like, hey, use this to help out with that. Um, And then I was looking at the list of breweries that are participating and they definitely are all around the world. There's one 
in Vietnam. There's one in Japan. There's one in Ontario, Canada. So they're all over the place. And our, well, my favorite brewery in our area is actually participating as well. So I'm excited. Hopefully we'll get to try that out. So you can go to um, altogether.beer. Sorry. So altogether.beer for more information. And you can also see a list of participating breweries um, to see if there's anywhere around you that you want to purchase and contribute to the cause. Yeah, and I feel like right now, while everyone's in quarantine, everyone's either watching movies or brew, brewing beer or doing something brewery-related or organizing their, their brew sheds and yeah. home breweries, <laughs> which I've been doing a lot of organizing and trying to clean all my equipment and basically get get it down so when I do brew again, I've kind of taken a little hi- hiatus of brewing mm-hmm. for now to get more organized, to really cut down my brew day times, as I talked about in a previous episode about organizing your brewing equipment and just making sure that you have everything at point of use where you're going to need it. And it. Also, if you're designing your home breweries, you want to make sure that you kind of plan out where your water is going to come from. Um, are you going to have drains? Are you going to reuse the water into something like we do with our garden? We re- reuse the water for our gardening, our mm-hmm. flowers and other things like that. And it's really interesting because I've been trying to find new things to watch because I'm kind of running out of things to do. <laughs> and I just stumbled on Netflix. There's actually a really funny comedy called Bruce Brothers. And it's kind of about uh, starting a brewery and kind of just it goes into a little bit more of disgusting things than just like the brewery but it's just really funny if you're looking for something to watch Mm -hmm. Uh, definitely check that comedy out I thought it was pretty hilarious on some of the starting a brewery and they kind of categorize some customers and stuff like that yeah it's two brothers and one brother is just kind of a pretentious snob and the other one's more normal but not maybe that great of a businessman so and my brother was like I wonder which one you would be if the, you started your brewery. The pretentious snob, would I be the obviously. Pretentious snob, or would I be like the guy who's trying to just get it all going and just comes up with these stupid ideas that he thinks are great, and then it just really costs the brewery a lot of money. So I don't know. I think I'd be a little bit of both. But I would. I don't think I would turn customers away like the bro- this brother was. I don't think you'd turn them away. Not to too much away, but uh, definitely check out that show on Netflix if you're looking for something funny and brewery or beer related. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, I think you would definitely try to educate everyone but <laughs> yeah yeah I know exactly what scene you're talking about yeah. that's pretty funny but okay anyways, yeah so uh this will be our last episode about beer ingredients we're going to wrap up talking about water hops and add-ins or adjuncts um in a previous episode we had talked about hops more in depth um and that was actually episode 12 so if you want to go back and listen to that we get a little bit more into it but in last episode we did was on malts. the malts and grains and I do want to say one correction that I had misspoke oh, yeah. in the, the last episode <laughs> and I was so mad that I, I was just like caught in the moment and I had said caught up in the moment I was caught up in the malts. moment of ex- my excitement talking about malts and grains and everything and I said like everything that goes into the, like that's in the boil and it's it's all the grains are during the mash process, mm-hmm. um, not the actual boil. So the boil, it takes your wort, which is basically what you get from your water and all those um, grains that you flushed out, whether you're mashing in and then if you're going to sparge or not. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to clarify that. Uh, no, some of you might have been like, what is he talking about? <laughs> like, you don't put your grains into the boil. Like, what are you? But what are you new? What are you new? God. <laughs> Okay, well, some of you, so we're going to start off with water. And some of you may be thinking, what could you possibly say about water? Like, water is water is water. 
what is the purpose of talking about water? And it may just seem like water, but it does have an effect on beer, which I was, again, I feel like I'm really educating myself and I'm kind of proud about it. I was very surprised that you can't just go out and get water and put it in your beer and have it taste the same. Um, There's actually a whole science that goes into it. All I'm thinking is H2O, H2O, no Gatorade, H2O. Water sucks. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I was just that was just in my head, but I could see that being used for brewing. Yeah, H two O. So there are actually three ways that water can affect the outcome of your beer. So it affects the pH level, which James will get into a little bit. Um, it can cause off flavors of chlorine, uh, and the amount of sulfate to chloride can create a seasoning, which is just so weird to me. So James, you want to tell us a little about the pH because you are the science major and I am not. Yeah, so pretty much you can measure pH of the liquid and it's going to be either, it's going to basically tell you the relative acidity or the basicity um, or hardness of um, your water, which is basically the measure of the total calcium, magnesium ions in the solution and alkalinity, which in this context will be your measure of the water's buffering capacity. I'm glad you could say that word because I can't say alka, alka, I can't say it. Alka, alka, alkalinity. Yeah. <laughs> and so your pH is going to vary based on your what brewing style you're going, what kind of beer you're going to be brewing. But typically the range is between six and seven. And you can measure pH either using pH strips, which are just basically pieces of paper that um, are color-coded, and it'll give you the range. You just basically take a sample. Um, I'm sure you beer. all remember those from yeah, your chemi- eighth grade science, science class. Science, chemistry. Um, use it in the industry to see how much of a, whether it's a base or an acid of a liquid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also, there's also digital ones, which I prefer because I'm not very good at telling the difference of colors on the pH strips. Um, other than like the drastic ones, but I think you, you get a definitely, I think a more accurate personally from the mm-hmm. digital ones, which, and they're not too expensive now either, which is great. Um, so your mash is typically within a pH of 5.2 to 5.5 at mash temperature, and that's going to give you your optimal enzymatic action with your alpha and beta amylase, which are proteins, and they're going to denature, start to denature outside of that range. Um, but again, it does vary based on what style of beer you're going to have. Um, so when do you test the pH of the water? Is that before you even start the whole process? Like, how do you know? So you definitely want to test the water before you actually add any of your brewing ingredients. And there's different ways you can do it. Um, some home brewers, you can actually get every, if you are using your tap water, um, your town or city should send you in the mail um, it basically is a report of the water and it will tell you the different uh, parts per million of different components that are in the water, such as chlorine levels mm-hmm. and all that. Or, and you can also call your local town hall and they can provide that information for you if you really want to get into it. You can also test it yourself. Uh, but if you don't have equipment, you know, it, it's a lot easier just to get that profile so you know kind of where you have to adjust. Sure. And the main thing is the chlorine levels in water, especially now um, a lot of your cities and towns are adding in chlorine into those water sources. And you just want to make sure that um, you monitor that. There are alternatives. You don't have to use your tap water. You can use spring water, distilled water. Um, It really all depends on what you want to use. Yeah. So I know one of the most common questions people have when they start homebrewing is, 
what kind of water should I use? And as my finance professor would say, her favorite answer to any question is, it all depends. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the politician's answer. Like if you're not like, sure what the answer is in her class, you can just whatever. be like, it depends. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you're right. So it does depend um, on the type of like water you want to use. Yeah. I remember a course that I had for uh, medical devices and everything. And it was like, oh, is this a medical device? And it's, well, it depends. It depends what they list it as. It depends. It really does depend. So it's similar yeah. to that. Um, and good brewing water for conducting the mash and creating the wort should be moderately hard and have a low to moderate alkalinity. And so one of my opinions is that the best water for brewing is mountain spring water because it's largely mineral free. And the calcium that's going to be in water determines its hardiness. So that's going to have the amount of dissolved magnesium and calcium in the water. Mm -hmm. And this in turn will give you the clarity, flavor, and stability in your finished beer. Okay, good to know. I always thought that having hard water was bad, but I guess a degree of hardness in the water is actually good. Yeah, because you'd be like, I don't want to have a shower with hard water. Yeah, because everyone's like, oh, our water is so hard in the shower, like leaves all the buildup and it's annoying. But I guess it's some to some degree you want it to be like that. So it gives you a good balance. And that's why for most breweries, you'll notice they want to target areas ideally that have good water profiles mm -hmm. of the town. So that's something I found was very interesting. But obviously for on a brewing scale, they have fil filtration systems that they put in anyway. Mm -hmm. um, to make the water as best as possible. It reminds me of, because um, I'm always hungry and thinking about food, how Brooklyn bagels are really good because they're made with Brooklyn water. And that's like the difference between a good bagel is water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I guess it's the same for beer. The difference between good beer and bad beer can be the water. Uh, and each brewer's tap is going to be different. So the water that they use can depend on where they're located, like James said. Uh, so some of them use their city town water and others use well water, which has different minerals in it than the city town water does. So that can have an effect on the outcome. And I think it definitely depends too on how big of a scale you're brewing. Like mm -hmm. if you're brewing a five or 10 gallon batch of beer, um, it's a lot more feasible to go out and buy, you know, your bottle big jugs of spring water or distilled water and even reverse osmosis um, you could mm -hmm. do. But once you get into like 20 gallons plus 50 gallons, 100 gallons of beer, it's not really feasible to go out and buy these jugs of water. You, you're going to want to use whatever tap water yeah. and adjust the water profile uh, to meet your the standards of whatever beer you're brewing. Yep. So most homebrewers on a small scale will buy the spring water, distilled water, or like you said, use reverse osmosis with filters, which is the best quality, but is the most expensive. And I mean, yeah. And one of the great things now about home brewing is that there's lots of shops out there. There's, there's still, I mean, I don't think homebrew shops location wise, there's as many as there was, but um, they, some of them are just going fully online, but there's still those mom mm -hmm. and pop uh, homebrew shops that will sell water filtration kits um, for your tap water that basically you just can install it yourself on your tap or wherever you have your line for your water for in your home brewery. Yeah. And, and those can cost anywhere from 50 to $500, which yeah, is it, a lot. And, I guess and plus, it depends on how yeah. um, many filters, it, how it's, it's really how simple or how complex you want to go with it mm -hmm. um, and what it's filtering out. Yeah. And then again, your cartridges that you're going to have to use, replace, like that kind of stuff will obviously make that price go up. Mm -hmm. 
So you can also adjust the water by adding mineral salts. Yeah, so this is one it's of like those taking things a bath and bath where salts. one of the first times I was in the homebrew shop, I was just like, what is gypsum? And I'm like, they just kept referring to like, oh yeah, you can add Epsom, this much Epsom salt and calcium chloride. And I'm like, why are they talking about adding all these things? All I want to do is make beer. Like, I don't, why do I need to add all this stuff to the water? Like, or yeah. like Irish moss to make your water. Like Irish clear. moss? It's, yeah, it's called Irish moss. And you add it to, um, like your, actual moss? Your brew at the end so it clarifies the beer. So it's, oh. yeah, so it makes it fancy. I know they yeah. used to use moss as filtration systems way back in the day but i know you could put it in your beer in your water but some so some of the mineral salts so gypsum also known as calcium sulfide is used to add permanent hardiness or hardness uh, or calcium ions to your brewing water and so they suggest typically one gram in one gallon will change the salt levels by 61 hmm. and a half parts per million calcium that sounds very technical it gets very <laughs> so PPM. They all the um, different specifications go by PPM, which is parts per million. And so when you see that, uh, if you're trying to adjust your water and you're new to it, um, that's what that refers to. Mm-hmm. And this calculations online and some of the brewing apps, like I've talked about before, they have those calculations on there. So you just plug in um, what you're trying to target, what your specific criteria is on that. Uh, Epsom salt is used to add sulfate and magnesium ions to your brewing water. Really? Because I thought you used it in your baths to get rid of aches and pains. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess, I guess People you do. They put Epsom, you take an Epsom salt bath. Well, that explains where so all my Epsom salt went, Maybe Shannon. you can just God. put beer in your tub instead. God, It'll where's all my Epsom salt? Oh, sorry. I took a bath last night. and uh... It's really good for you. <laughs> well, fun fact, Epsom salt is also ideal for a nutrient source for growing hot plants. Oh, interesting. I did not know that either. Epsom salt is so So diverse. you can just grow some hot plants in your, in your bath as well. I think that might be too much water for <laughs> yeah, the hops. I think that <laughs> too. And uh, Burton salts is just going to be your mixture of gypsum, calcium, carbonate, and Epsom salts as well. So that's another thing that's available uh, to home brewers. Hmm. And then you have calcium carbonate, or what's referred to as chalk, and that's used for t- temporary hardiness, hardness in dark beers, for dark beers, and it will adjust your pH so it raises your pH. Is that a specific chalk made for brewing? It's not like school of chalk, right? No, it's not it's like, not like it's not like you can write. You're okay. not gonna write. Okay. With so your... don't go out and get a box of chalk like that. You're gonna write on a blackboard. Yeah, with, no. If people still know what blackboards and chalk are. No, definitely not. And going back to the tap water, uh, the main thing about dechlorinating your tap water is to remove that chlorine. And you can tr- one of the ways you can do this is you can treat it with Camden tablets. C-A-M-P-D-E-N tablets, and it's actually used also in winemaking. And this you calculate by taking twice your chloramine level in your water, which again, you would need to find out from uh, your local um, town or city uh, what your water profile is. So with all this extra time you have right now during quarantine, you can call your town and find out this information. Give them something to do. I'm sure they'd be happy to, they have that information readily available. And so basically you'd add the chlorine level and divide that by six. And this will give you the number of tablets required to treat 20 gallons. So then wow. you would just adjust the calculation based on how many gallons you're brewing. Okay. And that's just one way you can do it. Yeah. So something you had mentioned a little earlier that I'm interested in because I've only heard of it in terms of science class is reverse osmosis. Yeah, this is probably like one of my favorite parts. And Isn't I'm that... just so excited to have like this 
kind of system to treat the water when I'm when I upgrade my system eventually. Uh, going through reverse osmosis, it basically you're gonna it passes water through a series of individual uh, pressurized membrane filters, and that's gonna remove some of the organics, inorganics, microbes, and some of those minerals that you don't want to have in your water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also will remove those chloramines from your water. So this is another way that you could do it without using those tablets. Um, but you will need to adjust the water afterwards using calcium, carbonate, and sulfate to your RO processed water, uh, depending on what beer style, again. Is reverse osmosis what they used on Voyage of the Mimi to get the salt out of the water? Oh, God. Re- re- <laughs> Isn't that, is that what they used? Movie. Remember they made that tent over the fire and they like heated up the ocean water to get all the Voyage of the water? Mimi. I think I was just talking about someone like that. You remember those movies we used to be right? forced to watch? And, and it was like, what was it called? It took Voyage me like ages to remember what it was called. And it was like, oh, my God. Oh, also, I just want to say that Beekman's Laboratory is what I was referring to last episode about the giant man rat. <laughs> So in case anybody is wondering if I figured it out, I did. Yeah. Shane's still very sad. She can't talk about flocculation nation. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that is kind of a overall picture on water and why it's important in beer and how you can make sure it makes your beer come out delicious. So now we're going to move on to hops, which I did mention we had done a whole episode about, um, but we are going to give you another recap here just so you are, it's fresh in your memory once we move on to our um, recipe building episode. Yeah. Let's hop to it, shall we? Ha ha ha. Like the Easter bunny. (laughs) (laughs) My jokes are funny. (laughs) So yeah. So once you finished your mashing and uh, you might have sparged with your greens, your wort will then uh, need to boil. And you're going to want to achieve a rolling boil. So it's typically 212 degrees Fahrenheit or 100 degrees C. And your hops will be added to the wort. And the hops, what they give you is bittering, flavor, and aroma. And it all depends on the timing. Like everything else, it depends. depends. (laughs) Sorry. I was like, I just had a flashback for a second. (laughs) And so your bittering hops, or also referred to as your kettle hops, these hops will be added in the boil, and they're used for bittering. And your recipes will typically call for a 60-minute or a 90-minute boil time. Now, this all depends on, one, the brewer, two, your recipe, and three, what you're trying to achieve um, with your brew overall. So I think I've typically done 60-minute boils. I really haven't extended them to the 90-minute boils, uh, but that's just so far what I've done as far as my boiling times. Um, So the hops will be added for flavor, typically between your 15 and 30 minutes left in your boil. Okay. Hops added near the end of the boil, usually with about five minutes remaining, or at flame out, which is the term that you'll see in recipes, just means when you remove the kettle uh, from your heat source if you're using a propane system or when you turn off the heat if you're using electric. Flame out. Flame out. Now, Shan's got, <laughs> Shan's got a new term now, flame out. She likes that more than flocculation. Yeah, I'm going to say, like, flame out. Wow, Shannon's, Shannon's now starting to sing, guys. <laughs> I, I, I find it's oh. contagious, guys. Shannon's now turning into me, singing about brewing. This is great. Yeah. This is great. I never thought I'd see the day. <laughs> but so those at flame out five minutes or five minutes remaining, that's going to be for your aroma. 
And then you can also add hops post-active fermentation, which is referred to as dry hopping. And this will provide extra aroma and some flavor. So you can add hops three different times, right? In the same batch, is that what I'm understanding? Like I could add it between 15 and 30 minutes left, and then I could add more at five minutes and then more afterwards. Oh yeah. Okay. You can Just add as many like hops a triple as hopped? you want. Is that what triple hopped means? Yeah, it's hopped three times. Oh, snap. Okay. <laughs> or it's, yeah, typically for how, ma- how many, how oh, many hops or it could be uh, different hops. Different that they types used. of hops. Okay. It, could, it depends, but typically it, that means it's hopped with th- three different times. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Um, and also with dry hopping, it can be done in the second, in secondary, typically anywhere from three to seven days before bottling or two weeks before bottling that will give you a better hop blend versus stronger ar- aroma. Hmm. So the closer you do to bottling, your aroma is going to be stronger uh, because it's it's going to stay in that beer a lot better. A lot better. A lot better. <laughs> and okay. since you're not boiling those hops, uh, the oils won't be extracted, and that's why it doesn't add bittering. So okay. when it's hops are in the boil process, those hop oils are getting extracted, which are going to give you that bitterness. Gotcha. So, Shannon, true or false? Oh, God. True or false with Shannon? No. No. (laughs) So, whether a hop is used for bittering, flavor, or aroma depends on the specific hop variety. True or false? Uh, Okay, so you're asking me that are only certain hops used for these specific things? Exactly. So, is a variety of hop used solely for bittering or solely for Um, true or false? I don't know. I feel like this could be a trick question. I'm going to go with false. False, correct. Yeah, okay. I almost went for true. It was a 50-50 shot. So it's not associated with the hop varieties. The same hop variety could be used as the bittering hop and also for flavor and aroma. So versatile. So it does not depend on the hop variety. Okay. And hop additions can vary from one hop addition, one hop this time, or five to six, depending on the type of beer and recipe. Crisscross. <laughs> I did not know that. Everybody add some hops. No, no clapping. <laughs> Silence. Yeah. Silence goes the crowd. And you all, you love this like statistic about hops that it's a natural preservative. Yeah. yeah. Why is that not fun? <laughs> Shan is all about natural. I mean, she loves preservatives. I love when, like, honey is a natural preservative. I think it's so cool when things in nature, like, that's how people used to live. And then uh, each hop, as we mentioned before in what, episode 12, mm-hmm. um, they have different strains in the varieties, and it's also based on the regions. Mm-hmm. And that's why you'll notice as well, you'll – on your hop package, if you're getting them already pelletized from your homebrew shop, you'll have the alpha acids and all the basically statistics about that hop on the package so you can know what it's going to bring to your brew. Yeah, so there's a lot of hop varieties. Too many for us to go through. On Not even one episode. It had to be like multiple episodes to go through all the hop varieties. Yeah, and especially now with all the extreme hazy IPAs and the very 
floral citrus IPAs mm-hmm. out there. Um, a lot less hops are being added in the boil. So they're not, like the West Coast style IPA is typically more bi- like a very bitter, kind of mm-hmm. like a drier IPA, which has more hops in, during the boil. Now with all the these other IPAs coming into the scene, uh, a lot more hops are being added to the back end or on the cold side, a.k.a. Oh. cold side, meaning it's not during the boil, it's after. after. Jinx, pinch folk, you owe me a Coke. Well, I have to talk. I mean, if I don't <laughs> talk, this is just not going to work. Darn it, fine. Rain check. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, no, please make him shut up. Please. We, we don't want to hear him. He's terrible. We hate that. Th- we hate that guy. <laughs> okay. I don't know about that one, but sure. <laughs> but yeah, so the, the hops are still important to the boil for the bitterness and beers just wouldn't be the same if you didn't add any hops during mm-hmm. the boil. So you still have to add hops in the boil for your bitterness. And this also ensures that those alpha acids that are in those hops are being isomerized in the boil. Such big words today. Yes. This is, this is what the uh, coffee and stout does. Makes you smarter. It, it's an intellectual <laughs> brew. Okay. Maybe you should drink it all the time then. No, I do feel like I'm that pretentious guy on that yeah. show. Yeah. But anyway... So you'll also get, when you have your recipe, you also have something called a hop schedule. So I, I would love to have just a calendar of all my hop schedules. I know you would. That'd be like a cool gift idea. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> okay. Don't everyone know that you literally looked at me and like gave me like a, I don't even know what kind of hand gesture that was. That was like a, there you go. No, that was almost like a gang symbol. I don't know. Oh, God, gang on. signs. We're not throwing gang stuff. Oh, God. Here. That's not allowed. And so on your hop schedule for your recipe, it's either going to be written from the start of the boil or the time left in the boil. So you want to make sure you pay attention to how it's written in your recipe. So this is one of those things that my first beer, I completely messed up because I took it to mean uh, at like you add it at that time, not that's how much time's left in the boil. And it was very specific in the recipe. So instead of the hops being in the boil for 30 minutes, it was only in there for like 15. Okay. So you're saying that like, if I'm doing a boil for 60 minutes and it says that I should add 20, like if it says 20 minutes on it, I should add it after 40 minutes? No, so, all right, so here's an That's example. That's confusing. So it would say something like this. Add two ounces of mosaic, 45 minute. Okay, so like, after so we'll say four, 15 so, minutes. So we'll say 45 minute addition of mosaic hops. This means that you add the hops 15 minutes into the boil so that you'll have 45 minutes left of the boil. So okay. basically you're going to have that mosaic in there for, for 45, 45 minutes. minutes. Got you. So basically, it's the amount of time that the hops should be in there, not when you should add them. And again, it's based on how the recipe is written. Okay. So read it. Read the recipe before you do anything multiple times. (laughs) I think that's a good advice for anything you're making, not just beer. Yeah. Like like sometimes they'll say 60 minute addition. Other times they'll say zero minute. So you really want to make sure what that wording is because it could mean two different things. So check your recipe. Thanks for that tip, James. Check your recipe. <laughs> Check yourself. Um, 
So like I mentioned, there's a multitude of variety of hops. There's 80, at least 80 different types of hops, which is crazy. Um, but some of the most popular are Cascade, Simcoe, Mosaic, Xena, which you just used in one of your beers, uh, Citra, and Galaxy. So I feel like those are the ones I've heard most recently. Yeah, there's also El Dorado. There's so oh. many ones. Um, and these are also their, like, common names. They are given, like, very specific. Well, I'm not going to go Which we're not going to. Uh, there was another podcast that I listened to. I think it was on the Brewing Network. And one of the guys, he just knows every single hop variety by its like technical name and it's just hilarious that's, but that's kind of impressive oh yeah it's like rain man but yeah. hops wow the hop can, rain man we all heard me trying to pronounce the yeast so I'm yeah not gonna try i'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what my hop plant does this year too i the buds are already coming up mm-hmm. from um the ground so it's it's pretty cool yeah so uh, they're constantly growing different varieties and developing different varieties so i'm sure it'll change over every year there seems to be the big like hops that everyone's using, the most popular ones. So yeah, like Citra and Galaxy yep. were the most recent boom mm-hmm. of the hops that everyone wanted to get their hands on. Yeah, uh, Centennial hops are used commonly in Mosaic. I love Mosaic because it's just such a versatile hop to use, and mm-hmm. it's pretty common that you can find it. Yeah, so I guess we'll see once life gets quote-unquote back to normal what the next big thing will be. Yeah, That'd for be cool. sure. Uh, so lastly, not, I mean, not every beer tastes the same, right? So there's main ingredients, but then brewers all over the world tend to add their own flair or own ingredients separate to those to mix it up a bit. So some of the, it's what they're called adjuncts. So things that are not like grain, water, yeast, hops, um, can be added in. And some of those include oranges, spices, fruits, coffee, like we're drinking now. Mango. Mango, brown sugar. Honey. So basically, I mean, honestly, you could probably put anything you want into a beer. Um, I mean, there's obviously different ways to do it with like purees or steeping it. Like we made that coconut porter where we uh, roasted or toasted the coconut, put it in the mesh bag, and then it kind of steeped like a big tea bag in the beer uh, for a while. So there's multiple different ways to infuse different flavors into your beer. Um, And then we added added it into the post fermentation as well to give that coconut aroma as well yeah so i mean you can do extracts so it's there's a lot of different things out there um honestly i feel like i've heard of everything being added into beer so whatever you kind of feel like you can including beets (laughs) yes we did have that uh shroot farms at bay state which we talked about not being our favorite but it was very creative um and so if when you are coming up with your recipe yourself that's one of the ways you can get creative and differentiate yourself from other brewers and breweries out there is by adding different creative ingredients into there. I personally am a big fan of fruit beers and also the spiced beers like nutmeg and clove and cinnamon. Like I like those are probably one of my favorites. So I don't know, James, do you have a favorite add in? I mean, I've done a lot with orange peel. Um, yeah, I say that spices, my dad's probably too. A second. Um, but I really want to get into like the mango and peach. Mm. I think I want to do a peach IPA. Yeah, peach is good too. Or yeah. even like a watermelon IPA, I think would be really good for the mm. summer. I don't so, know how I feel about the watermelon, but. So we'll see. I'll try it. I'll try it. We'll see. Uh, I think so, I'll do peach first. I'll do okay. peach or mango first. That'd peach is safe. So. Peach is safe. Peach is safe. Watermelon is 
danger. Vulnerable peach. Vulner, vulner, the vulnerable peach. The vulnerable peach. Uh, so I do have a fact for you, James. Uh, since 1516, so for over 500 years, there has been a German purity law, which requires that nothing other than barley, hops, and water be used to produce beer. Although now they've adjusted it to say barley, hops, water, and yeast because they realized after the law was made how important yeah. yeast is to making beer, and so they added that in. So current, And it's still an effect that beer made in Germany cannot include anything other than the main ingredients. Yeah, I was going to mention earlier that there is definitely those out there in the craft beer world and just the beer brewing world that are purists, mm-hmm. and they don't believe that any of these adjuncts should be added, and it's kind of like yeah. cheating. And then it's not really beer. It's you're bringing it to something else, which I get the argument. I can mm-hmm. see it. But the whole thing about craft brewing is being innovative. And if you just had the same beer th- throughout time, you know, it's n- not dynamic. It's nothing changing. So I think as we learn more about brewing and the science of brewing and what can be done, I think you always want to push those boundaries. And it's one thing, I guess, to call it like something, a traditional, this kind of style. And if you're adding in stuff that's not traditional, I mm-hmm. get that argument 100%. Name it something else. That's what I would suggest. Like, and then you have the best of both worlds. Yeah. But I think for, you know, this law, there, as we were saying, there's different hop varieties. So you can get different flavor profiles through the different hops that you're using. So, I mean, you can still be kind of creative in that way. It's just you're not adding in the extra flavors things yeah. like that. But I was also interested to see what were some of the strangest things that have ever been yes, added to beer. I love this idea. This so, is great. <laughs> so I know that like we've had like a peanut butter and jelly stout. We tried a maple. Uh, I think it was like a smoked maple one at the beer dabbler. So we've tried some different, uh, we'd had the beet one the at beet, BC, yeah. like I just mentioned. Um, but I found three that I thought were a little out of this world. The first one, literally. Uh, in 2013, Dogfish Head made a beer brewed with crushed up lunar meteorites. So what they did is they took these meteorites and crushed them up and then steeped them like tea in the beer. And it was called the Celeste Jewel Ale. Man. Celeste Jewel Ale. Get it? Bet like it was celestial. out of this world, Shannon. I bet it was out of this world. I just made that joke. You I know. can't make the same joke as me. I know. <laughs> Uh, so oh, I thought that God. was really, I've never heard of that. It was a, obviously a limited release because how many lunar meteorites can you get? But that was very interesting. Interesting. I don't know if I would, eh, I'd probably try it. Yeah. Um, the second one, I guess you could maybe try to do now because you've got your quarantine beard going on, but I honestly don't know if I would partake in consuming it. Um, but Rogue Ale's Beard Beer is an American wild ale. The beard beer? Yeah. Brewed with. <laughs> brewed by Rogue Ales of Newport. I'm like. I, you can't even I can't say it because I'm like disgusted by this. Uh, Rogue Ales of Newport, Oregon. Using wild yeast that was originally cultivated from nine beard hairs of their master brewer, John Mayer. That's awesome. And I. I don't know how I feel about that. Like he literally was joking like, oh, my beard's the best. Like it would be an ideal environment to cultivate yeast. And then they were like, hmm, why don't we do it? So like, it's like why instead not? of like having bird, like a bird's nest in your beard, yeah. you just have yeast cultivating in your beard. Yeah. And then they took his beard hair and apparently it gave a pineapple-y flavor. Oh my God. And I just, I. I wonder I got, if that was inspiration for in that Brew Brothers with like. 
that know, ingredient maybe. that they put in one of their beers, which it might be, but I don't know. I don't like when I see hair near food in food associated with food. But it's also would someone drink? drink I mean, it's it not knowing hair, that the hair beer, is not in the beer. Yeah. Let me just say that yeah. it's the yeast that I cultivated off of the hair. Yeah, but I'm still like really grossed out by it. <laughs> uh, and lastly, I surprisingly am not as grossed out by this one because I love oysters. But the oyster stout by Porterhouse Brewery is made when raw oysters are shucked directly into the conditioning tank to make their Irish oyster stout. Yeah, I, when we did a food pairing, oysters and stouts go mm-hmm. together really well. So I really would love to try this beer. Yeah, and the oysters leave behind a subtle salty sweet taste in the beer. So I'm not as creeped out by that one as I am by the hair in the beard. Like, oh, God. The beer, beer, beer. Oh, God, I can't even. But <laughs> oh, As if I can't even, Shannon. Yeah. <laughs> that was your impression of it. That, that, that was my Karen impression of Shannon. Oh, now I'm a Karen? Yeah, you're a Karen. Okay, I really am a Karen, so. <laughs> Rude. Flock you, you later. <laughs> That's my line. Yep. Okay, well, thank you. Um, so we will be putting together an episode about recipe development. So how can you take all of this information that we've given you over the past couple of weeks and make your own recipe? We will try to help you out with that. And if you have any questions or anything you want to add to the discussion, feel free to let us know. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Double Hop Beat Podcast. Follow us on our Instagram for our latest home brewing and craft beer adventures. Direct message us at Double Hot Beat Podcast to share your experiences and become part of the pulse of brewing. You can also listen to us on our website, www.doublehotbeatpodcast.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Cheers by rating and reviewing us. This, this has, has been, been Double Hot Beat. Catch you on the brew side. side.